Let us pray. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, creator of the universe, who gives us life and who sustains our lives and who brings us together in this very moment. We bless you, God, for your goodness, for the power that's behind your goodness, for the ways that you've impacted and touched and changed our lives. We bless you for this community that we draw together with each week to continually be transformed by your word. And as we are transformed, we bless you for the ability to work in partnership with you in the world that we encounter outside of this place. We bless you, God, for who you are and who you have called each of us to be individually and as a community. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to make you wait for the Shema this morning. I do want to start with the story. There once was a man that considered himself to be quite a jokester. He loved to come up with and execute absurd scenarios and see how these scenarios panned out. Had he been alive today, I'm sure you would find him on YouTube with quite a following, but he was actually alive about 2,000 years ago. The story goes that this man decided that one of his targets for his next prank would be a well-known teacher in Jerusalem. This teacher was known to be rather conservative, solemn, stern, and while friendly, very serious about what he did. And what he did was take on the yoke of Torah. He was serious about the study and the interpretation and the application of the scripture to his life, to the life of the people around him. This teacher was named Rabbi Shammai. And the jokester decided to set his sights on this man. And so one day as the rabbi was conducting his teaching, this jokester comes before the rabbi and he stands on one leg And he says to the rabbi, Rabbi Shammai, your wisdom is renowned. Your disciples are well known throughout the land to be faithful and honest men. I have one question for you. If you're able to answer it while I stand here on one leg, which I'm not very good at, you can consider me gained as a follower. Now tell me, rabbi, what does the Torah say? And the man stood there on one leg and waited a response. Now those disciples that knew the rabbi well, for self-preservation reasons, began to back away. As warm as Shammai is with his friends and with strangers, his seriousness about the scripture and about the study of Torah was not to be trifled with. Shammai exploded. Get out of here, yelled Shammai. How dare you treat the gift of God that is within these pages in such an absurd manner? The rabbi picked up a stick and chased the man away. The man loved it. He thought it was the funniest thing that had happened. And so he decided that he wanted to repeat the feat. There was only one other rabbi in Jerusalem at the time that held as much prestige as Rabbi Shammai So the jokester decided to set his sights on him. This other rabbi, his name was Hillel. 
And so Rabbi Hillel, like Rabbi Shammai, was known for his devotion to the yoke of Torah. He approached the scripture with seriousness that was matched only by Shammai. But where Shammai was known to be conservative, Hillel was known to be more liberal. Where Shammai was known to restrict, Hillel was known to permit. Where Shammai took himself and his vocation very seriously, Hillel took his vocation seriously, but himself less so. So the jokester came to the Hillel while Hillel was teaching and stood before him again on one foot, said, Rabbi Hillel, your wisdom is renowned. Your disciples are known to be faithful and honest men throughout the land. I have a question for you, and if you are able to answer it while I stand here on one leg, you can consider me gained as a follower. Tell me, Rabbi, what does the Torah say? And Hillel looked at the man with a very serious face. He was silent for a time, and the man started to shake. And finally, at the last moment, Hillel smiles and says, Love God, love your neighbor. This is the whole of Scripture. The rest is commentary. Now go and learn what this means. The jokester walked away a changed man. The rest of his life he devoted to the yoke of Torah and to the way of Rabbi Hillel. The religious landscape of the first century of Israel was shaped largely by these two very real men. Rabbi Hillel and Rabbi Shammai have come to be revered within the Hebrew tradition, but well beyond it as well. They were considered to be at the pinnacle of scriptural interpretation. Their thoughts of ideas have been passed down for centuries. As you've already heard this morning, the idea of following Torah, of interpreting and applying the scripture is called taking on the yoke of Torah, or even sometimes called taking on the yoke of the kingdom. We've talked before in here about what it is to follow Torah. To follow these books is to participate actively in the redemptive story of God. The five books of Moses do contain a whole lot of rules, but it is not the rules within these books that give them power. What gives these books power is the story, the story of a God that hears a cry of an oppressed people and decides to respond and set these people free. It is for this freedom's sake that the people are given the rules to help them learn what it is to be free. It's this narrative that leads the rabbis to begin to use this phrase. The people of Israel were released from the yoke of slavery and given the liberating yoke of the story of redemption. And as time passed, the people of Israel found the need for the interpretation of this original story for new times and new events and new experiences of captivity, new experiences of freedom. They looked to their teachers to tell them what the story of freedom from slavery in Egypt might look like in the face of the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Persians. What did freedom mean when they were bound to the rule of yet another global superpower? The stories were told anew, the rules repeated, reimagined, and reinterpreted, giving people hope for further redemption. This is the world that Rabbis Hillel and Shammai emerged from. 
Their task is to tell this story, the story of Torah, the story of redemption in such a way that their people who are oppressed by yet another empire have hope for freedom. Naturally, between these two men, the interpretations are different. The language that we use to describe a particular rabbi's approach to the scripture became known as a rabbi's yoke. And to follow a particular rabbi meant to take on that yoke. And so Shammai's yoke is this. The importance of Torah is to impart into the people of God the holiness of God. For Shammai, as he tells this story of redemption, his emphasis lies on the people imitating the God that set them free by separating themselves from that which is unclean, that which is unholy or profane. And so as part of the interpretation and application of this story, Shammai begins to rank the 613 commandments that we find in the Torah, and he prioritizes those that align with holiness. Shammai begins with the first and most important commandment that we would all agree on. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. The second commandment is like it, says Shammai. The second commandment is how, according to Shammai, you actually show this love of God. The second commandment is to be holy, as the Lord your God is holy. And from there, Shammai ranks the remaining commandments, always with the emphasis on cleanliness, holiness, and sacredness. This became Shammai's yoke. Hillel, on the other hand, told the story differently. For Hillel, the reason that the people are continually defeated and oppressed is because they continually oppress. They ostracize the outsider. They take advantage of the weak. They prey on those to whom they should be offering life. And when Hillel tells the story of redemption, his emphasis, on his, his emphasis is on imitating God's care for the broken, for the hurt, and for the impoverished. As Hillel begins to rate these commandments, he begins, of course, with the first and most important, love God with all your heart, soul, and might. But the second commandment, the one that's like the first, the one that tells you how to actually fulfill the first, is to love your neighbor as yourself. And from there, Hillel ranks the remaining commandments always with an emphasis on generosity, care, and love. This became Hillel's yoke. Hillel and Shammai set the stage for the world that Jesus would come into. They developed these yokes roughly 30 years before Jesus began his ministry. And so when Jesus is asked, what is the most important commandment? Or how do I gain eternal life? This isn't just a random question. This isn't just a random discussion. Jesus wasn't just picking his favorite commandments. He didn't just make his answer up. Jesus was instead joining a conversation that his people had been having for a while. Jesus was offering his own contribution to this conversation of what the story of redemption looked like. The questions asked... Do the people of God practice the love of God by drawing themselves apart, by declaring another unclean, by drawing lines in the earth to keep us in and them out, by splitting, by dividing? Or is our holiness governed by a different law? 
now. Please stand as you're able. Pray with me the prayer that we pray in each of our services here at Alamo Heights United Methodist Church. This prayer is us declaring that we are taking on the yoke of Jesus. We'll say a little bit of it in Hebrew, and then we'll finish it in English. You'll see some of us raise our pinkies as we pray. This is for us a reminder that there's enough power and grace and mercy in God's little finger to change our hearts, our minds, and the entire world around us. So please pray with me. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. Now hear these words as I read to you from the 11th chapter of the Gospel according to Matthew. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father, No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy My burden is light. This is the story of God told for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Two weeks ago, Pastor Dinah started us off on a short series on the three general rules of the United Methodist Church. The first rule was do no harm. Last week, we talked about doing good. This week, we come to the third of those rules. In the parlance of John Wesley, this third rule is to to attend to the ordinances of God. Ordinances are, of course, decrees or laws or commandments. Wesley names several of what he considers these ordinances to be. Public worship, corporate reading and expounding of the scripture, family and private prayer. In his book, Three Simple Rules, Bishop Reuben Job interprets these ordinances as those things that keep the relationship between God and humans vital, alive, and growing. Over time, this third rule has come to be known in a more friendly phrase for us, and today we say that this third rule means to stay in love with God. For Wesley, the way that we engage this third rule is through the intentional engagement in certain practices. These practices, these disciplines draw our minds and our hearts to the contemplation of the divine. They open our awareness to the divine in the world around us, prompting us to love all that we see and all that we encounter. As Bishop Job puts it, spiritual disciplines teach us to live our lives in harmony with something larger than ourselves, larger than that which the world values as ultimate. Now, as we talk about rules, disciplines, and ordinances, and commandments, and even practices, I want to acknowledge that it's very easy for this yoke to, again, appear to be very heavy. 
When rules exist for the sake of the rules or when the expectations are that a law is followed merely because it's written, we become again lost under the weight of oppression. Indeed, nine years after Wesley offered these three simple rules, he found that his people were using them as boxes to check within his own societies. People began to judge themselves based on the ability to keep these three simple rules and began to judge others based on their ability. Wesley knew that when people begin to draw lines between themselves and those on the wrong side of the rules, that this will become a problem. I don't want to vilify Shammai. Shammai's intention was clearly not to keep the rules for the rules' sake. Shammai's intention was honestly to draw the people closer to God. But for us and those of us that follow Jesus, holiness and righteousness in the sense of following a set of rules in order to set ourselves apart is not the priority. Jesus sided with the more permissive Hillel on all but one occasion. The priority, the yoke that we take on as disciples of Jesus Christ is the yoke of love. Now, John Wesley was certainly concerned with holiness, but the way that Wesley talked about it was by using the term social holiness. For Wesley, holiness was always for the sake of the society around you. Piety was expressed in such a way that the world was transformed for the better. Your personal relationship with Jesus was not for your sake, but for the sake of your neighbor. Wesley went even as far as to say that perfection Real, true perfection was an attainable target in this life for those that carry the yoke of Jesus. What he means by this is that to attain perfection, we love perfectly. It's the same idea of perfection that we declare each week in our services. Christian perfection, says Wesley, is to love God with all of your heart, with all of your souls, with all of your might, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, a full discussion of this idea is a little bit too nuanced for our time this morning, but essentially Christian perfection is this. If you set your heart on perfect love, that perfect love of God and of neighbor, then you are moving towards perfection. For Wesley, the key was intentionality. He acknowledged that we would make mistakes, that we would transgress love, but those mistakes are just that. They do not drive a wedge between us and God. They're opportunities to return to the path. To stay in love with God is to engage in the journey towards perfection. That path is walked through acts of tangible love in the world. It's to engage in spiritual disciplines for the sake of the world around you. The yoke of Torah is admittedly rather shocking. When we find that there are 613 commandments just in the first five books of the Bible, it's easy for that yoke to weigh down on us. But the yoke of our teacher is instead easy, and his burden is light. Our yoke gives us rest and presence and purpose in our vocation. 
I'd like to invite you to listen to our scripture passage again. This time I'm going to ask you to sit and rest into your seats, to close your eyes, to breathe deeply. And I'm going to offer you Eugene Peterson's translation of these words. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on your religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Take on my yoke, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Amen. You might call the three general rules of the UMC the yoke of John Wesley. Do no harm, do good, stay in love with God. You might even say that these three rules really just boil down to the two. Love your God, love your neighbor. The rest is commentary. As you go, as you walk this path that the journey gives you, go and learn what that means. Pastor Dinah has closed us with a covenant each of the last two weeks as we've discussed these rules. Our covenant this week is simple, and I'd ask that you'd say these words with me. We will love God with all of our heart, soul, and might. We will love our neighbors as ourselves. Let us pray.